0: So, thank you for chatting with me today, Corey.
1: Pleasure, Kim. This is exciting. (laughs) It's fun to talk with you always.
0: Yeah. Um, So, I was thinking about you this week because I was just kind of collecting my thoughts. And I think I just want to say, to start us off, um, and hopefully this doesn't sound like too super spiritual or philosophical, but, um, so one of the reasons why I think I have uh, a real high regard for you and that I just really value your insights and your, not necessarily so your, um, this way of being in the world um, is, so I, I was thinking about how you took down our swing set for us when oh. you came to visit. And yeah. I think what, I think what was really awesome about that is that it just requires. You didn't
1: get tetanus. You did? Sorry. I didn't. That was awesome.
0: Okay. Okay, good. I, well, that would have been tragic. <laughs> Like, but no, you did stab yourself that with a rusty nail.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it was really <laughs> delightful how I didn't get tetanus.
0: Sorry. <laughs> well, it was such a surprise, but I think what really struck me about it is it requires like two things. It requires a real like thoughtfulness and a conscientiousness about others. And it requires this this energy to tackle something and to take like your personal sphere of influence and to take action in that space and to use like what little time and energy we have because right don't those always seem like they're in little supply Mm -hmm. and just to do something with it and I think you know the part of it that Sound super spiritual or that I kind of wanted to qualify about that it's like when I think about the Holy spirit that mm. that element of like in, like putting a kind of a zest for life or a energy into our um, mm. you know like a willpower to be able to kind of take action and um, but also this kind of uh Ability to kind of just be conscientious about what others are experiencing. Like, you had a lot of empathy, right? Because you were able to kind of see, like, this is something that is important to another person. But then taking your own actions and, like, being able to, like, do something that was unusual. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes I think we just go through the motions of, like, what's expected of us. But you took so mm-hmm. like you took action in a way that was like almost unconventional to like just tear down somebody else's swing set. So anyway yeah. that I I so it's just a very simple thing. Um it's not like a you know, heroic act, but I feel like it just reflects something profound in an ordinary life. So and my and my hope in this conversation is just, you know, not hope this isn't like uh, you know, calling you an ordinary person is, is <laughs> not offensive, but just talking to like ordinary people who live ordinary lives and understanding what is what is God doing in that person's life, and how does this spiritual life look in the most ordinary. Of circumstances with the most ordinary of people. So, um, yeah, so that's a glimpse for me into something about you that I, I saw that was sort of like this supernatural thing happening in the ordinary. Um, but I want to hear, I would I would love to hear kind of more from your perspective of like when you think about, you know, your spiritual life, whatever that means, right? Um mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that like we can kind of take this out of like a super like churchy kind of context and just talk about it like from the perspective of anybody who's like asking bigger questions about life. But like
2: mm-hmm.
0: what does it mean for you? Like my my basic curiosity is like what is it what is your experience of God and and I think what I what I would really love to know is like, do you characterize it as a relationship?
1: Hmm. Well, what an intro, Kim. <laughs> Thanks for telling me that story. Um Ah uh, gosh, where to begin? Um, as you were talking, like three or four things came to mind, but I was just enjoying the story also. So as they came to mind they also left mind. Um I feel like, have you heard of pleasure activism?
2: Mm-mm.
1: Um, so I'm I'm just starting reading uh, around this concept, but um, the, this sort of notion that look like activism and agitating for justice doesn't have to be a, like a hard, difficult slog, like the the struggle for righteousness and justice can be animating and life-giving. And not that tearing down your swing set was activism in the least, but like when I've been involved in stuff that matters, um, it's been delightful. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, that is the animating power of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, the 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 first thing we hear of the Holy Spirit or God's Spirit, right, is just kind of hovering and being present, right? Um, and the next we hear of her, she's being blown into the humans, right, to animate them, to give them life, to have them do stuff, right? And as the Holy Spirit or God's Spirit is talked about in Scripture, it's uh, she, not it, that's not nice, um, is animating God's people. It's like, you're causing people to do stuff or like doing stuff on her own. And it's just like, God is, and certainly God's spirit, is about movement and doing stuff, and, um, like, I'd I'd like to think of a relationship with God, but that, I don't know, that's, that's not really the metaphor, um, that means most to me, but certainly it does to a lot of humans, and that's great, um, but. I feel like what's really getting my attention and uh, helping me move forward which is like my central thing with God um, is like trying to follow the Spirit's leadership Um, and so I, I don't know if that makes me into hierarchy or just like wanting to follow but it it's following mm-hmm. for me rather than like delving into a relationship
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that may reflect sort of a spiritual poverty but uh maybe it doesn't i just get really excited about what god is doing mm-hmm. and like the little tiny minuscule bit of it that i see and uh it's it's jazzy right it's fun mm-hmm. um i think was just uh, was just reflecting on this. Well, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Well, I was just gonna say I I hope that by my asking it in that way that it doesn't come across like that's the norm. Like I'm, it's not a normative question of saying like. Oh, no, the, I mean, yeah.
1: Cool. If it is the norm, um, I, I I I have never been uh, one who feels compelled to live up to a norm or not. Um, you know, you, you introduced me as an ordinary person and I'd love for that to be true, but I don't know how true it is. (laughs) I don't know. I just (laughs) always feel weird. Um, so yeah, no, no worries about norming and I, yeah, that doesn't it doesn't affect how I I think
0: any I, I feel like much. anybody who's uh willing to have a conversation about spiritual matters probably has the experience of like feeling like they're a little bit odd and not yeah. normal. I don't know. Yeah. I it's hard for me to say, but it's uh it's not a it's not something that people really talk about, at least in, like, in public or, like, uh, not in my experience, not in professional life, at least. Yeah.
1: So. I've had a lot of conversations this last week, and uh, it, it didn't come up in one of them. So I, I'm going to go with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think ordinary, I like, I I feel like I need to kind of center myself in this ordinariness, because not so much, like, so that I don't feel odd, but so that I don't have these, like, grandiose, like, need to be some, uh, fulfill some very heroic purpose in my life. Like, ordinary Mm -hmm. for me is more about just enjoying, like, the delightful pleasures of, like, living and not Mm -hmm. having because I I have this complex where I feel like I have to like my life is only meaningful if I'm great and so it's kind of this contrast between ordinary and great
1: well good thing you're great Um, but (laughs) yeah it's in uh, an
0: ordinary way
1: (laughs) yeah you're a delightful human and that is way more than enough.
0: Yeah. Cool. So, so I want to, do you have other examples where the idea of you said, you know, when you're involved with something that matters, you just find that to be delightful. And so kind of like your experience of God is is one of delight. Of one is one of um, being able to uh, do something that is uh, in line with what you see God doing, and then by taking part in that, experiencing like the delight of that. So I guess like. I guess two things I'm curious about. Like, one is like, what are some examples of that? Just to kind of give that, a, flesh that out a little bit more. And then also, when when you say like seeing like little glimpses of what God is doing, what, how do you notice it? Like, how how does it come into your awareness? So you can t- tackle either one of those.
1: Um. Yeah, I'll I'll do the second one and then I'll count on you to remind me of the first one. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. Um just when other people say it, you know, like, Wow, I saw God or like that's amazing or I uh, you know, I we we were reading the scripture passage, right? Um this past week following the revised common lectionary. Or maybe it's for this week. I don't know. I'm between weeks right now. It's Monday. Um, and uh the it's the the reading before Pentecost, um so from Acts and uh so it it's naming the folk who were in uh Jerusalem residence uh after the 40 days that Jesus is rocking around the post-resurrection, um, and then, you know, 10 days later to Pentecost. So they're just hanging out for 10 days. And it lists the disciples, um, and then it says Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and also quite a few women, and also Jesus' brothers. Um, and just talking with somebody about you know, women were essential and equal in the early church and through Jesus' ministry. Like, all his fundraisers, um, like, there were women disciples walking along with everybody, and, like, that's an essential part of the Jesus movement from very, very early on, way before Paul gets involved, and, like, equal in every respect, and maybe some leaders um, but certainly women are amongst the disciples, people who are called disciples, right? Um, and named as apostles, named as deacons, named as all that stuff, right? Um, and I was just talking with somebody, um, and she happened to be a woman, and it had never, like, occurred to her that there's, like, a huge biblical precedent um, in early, early, early Christianity uh, for women in in every role of leadership, right? And, uh, you know, you could see it in her face and you could hear it in her voice that, like, just talking through Scripture, God spoke to her and uh, called her into a thing. Um, And she's like, wow, I, you know, I heard God speak in that Scripture. It's like, yeah, yeah, you did. And that's how Scripture works a lot of times. Um, and so, I don't know, that's, that's an example, right? Um, I, just stuff like that, so I'm a professional Christian, so this is my work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I teach and that, so, you know, um, those are the kind of stories I see of, like, oh, the Holy Spirit's moving in somebody, just talking to some scripture. Mm -hmm. What was the first part of the question? I feel terrible that (laughs) I can't remember that. No,
0: that was actually, actually, I think, kind of both, because it's, so the question is sort of like, how do you first sort of like notice what, uh, or how does it come into your awareness, like what God is doing? Um, mm-hmm. And then the second one is sort of more like how how do you then participate in it and and have that experience of delight from it, or just giving you know just having like an example of that. But I feel like that's a oh, really yeah. good example because it's um well first of all I you, you touched on a, a like <laughs> that's really close to my heart. Because I feel like the, uh, for me, in my kind of uh, relationship with God, I guess I will characterize it that way. Mm -hmm. The theme that I really feel like has been brought up is just that, that, like, there's a misunderstanding among, among many people about the role of women and mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, that's kind of this area of justice that is, um, and I love how you characterize it as like the Holy Spirit is the one who is kind of moving it forward, is that kind of movement that's pushing it mm-hmm. forward, and we catch on to it, like we kind of grab on grab onto the coattails of it, but that's, you know, a really great, um, example because it fits right into my worldview as far as like what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do is to change the way women understand themselves, um, and their role in the church or just, you know, just our general, you know, not just in the church, but I feel like the church is behind, like way behind. (laughs) so far yeah, behind. and, and willfully like, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a great can I example. Tell you
1: my, can I tell you my favorite story? Yes. This is, this is my favorite story in all of scripture. Um, so, God has freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt um, and led them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm or a mighty arm and outstretching, I can't remember right now. Um, and not just them, it needs to be said, but a whole mixed multitude of all kinds of non-Israelite folk as well. Um, Exodus twelve thirty-eight. 38. Um, and so there's this whole mass of Israelites and non-Israelites, and they're all leaving Egypt together because, like, there's been some stuff. Um, and then Pharaoh reconsiders. He thinks to himself, what have I done? And he goes and he pursues the Israelites. And so the Israelites are hemmed in by between the Sea of Reeds on the one side and the pursuing Egyptian army on the other side. And God is in a pillar in protecting the people. But Moses, in, in Mosaic leadership, and I do love Moses, um, says something very silly. Um, it's uh, uh, Exodus 14, 13, and 14, right? Um, so they're hemmed in, and Moses says, all right, stand still and be quiet and watch what God will do for you. Watch how God will deliver you. And that seems good, right? Like, just, hey, guys, let's just hang out. God has done all this stuff. God will continue doing stuff. And then God speaks. Uh, and this is Exodus fourteen, fifteen, <laughs> And God says, why are you telling the people to stand still move forward right um and i i just love that because god's doing all these miracles right there's been like the plagues and then there's a pillar of smoke and fire and um the sea of reeds is about to be split um and so certainly god is active and god is doing stuff but Human leadership, a lot of times, even in the midst of God doing all this crazy stuff, like, that we know moves towards redemption, that we know moves towards freedom, that we know moves to, like, community with God, relationship with God, I'll say, it says, all right, hold up, this is far enough, all right, let's just stop here and see what else God is going to do. And, uh, in that moment, God says to Moses, no, no, don't, don't, don't stand still, move forward, keep going go, go, forward. Um, and there's this beautiful story about, um, Nachshon, um, Ben-Aminadav, uh, after whom we named our second son, um, mm-hmm. about how he in particular moves forward. Um, that's, that's not in the biblical text, but, um, I like that, right? Like, we don't get to stop, um, and I, I, I feel like that's what a lot of, a lot of Christianity has done in various places, right? Like, well, oh, Paul said some things to Timothy, maybe about women, so we're just gonna stop, and we're not gonna mm. move forward or like ooh, we're interpreting the Bible pretty maliciously about um African Americans, so let's not push for um civil rights or whatever, or let's be very comfortable in slavery or be very comfortable in uh inequality and I' like, ooh, mm. we don't need to push forward." right? Or all the things, right? Like, oh, there's stuff about LGBTQIA plus uh, folk, right? Like, let's not push forward into liberation or, like, expressing love. Um, And we don't get to stop. We don't get to stop. God is doing miracles all around us, and we don't get to stop moving forward. I feel like Mm -hmm. God is doing God's part, and we need to do our part. Um, and, you know, that marks me out as a certain kind of Christian, but it's all well and good because I am a certain kind of Christian. Um, you know, and, and there are as many different kinds of Christians as there are Christians, right? Like there's the whole thing about, you know, the body is not an eyeball, right? Like there's eyeballs and there's, feet and there's hands and there's spleens and there's um livers and all the other parts of body that I can't remember right now um (laughs) but right like we're we're called to different stuff and so certain people are going to be called to be um weeping prophets like Jeremiah who just say sad stuff that they wish weren't true but it is um but as many of those people as there are I think that there's also people who are called to sing the song of the sea and just rejoice in what God has done and what God is doing and if nothing else like sort of be God's cheerleader on earth yay mm-hmm. raw that's great let's see some more keep going um and we'll keep going too and uh, you know I think it's no coincidence that Miriam uh the sister of Aaron and Moses is a leader in singing the song of the sea, right um,
2: mm.
1: you know Moses too, for sure, but uh he didn't get to play drums, so good for Miriam
0: <laughs> I love that i um hmm. so how how do you? create space to, um, I guess, like I was just reading something I thought was really powerful that, um, like this idea that the soul needs this space where we can, um, both look back and kind of reflect, but also to look forward. Um, and the I, the phrase that he used was this is a an author I just picked up this book called um, Care Care of the Soul by Thomas Moore. Mm. Yeah. Um, but he says you know so we should look reflectively back into the past and prophetically into the future. Mm. And I le- I love that because it's um, on one hand it kind of creates this tension in me like I think the idea of continuing to move forward uh, sets this expectation that, um, you know, that there's something in the future that's possible that's different from the current reality. And it mm. that creates tension for me because there's, like, in that space between, like, what's now and what the future can hold, there's, like, the possibility of um, of it not working out or yeah. of disappointment or um, so I guess, you know, when you think about how to kind of catch onto the coattails of like what the spirit is doing, like how does that look for you and how do you, do you have like a way of kind of creating space to kind of co-envision what the future looks like or is it like a spontaneous thing that happens throughout the day or what does it look like for you to move forward in, in tandem with God to kind of okay. create this new reality that, or like this future that is different from the present?
1: Okay, I want to say three things, Um, not the first of which. This is just the intro. You ask such good questions.
0: Oh, Um, thank you.
1: So the first thing is about space. And you're using space as non-geographic, right? Like how do you create space within your life? But yeah. Um, My background is in anthropology of religion, and I think that I will choose to take your question a different way, if that's okay. And I have been um, facilitating a series of conversations in the last several weeks um, as folks are um, away from their congregations uh, due to concerns for neighbor about not getting each other sick about um space and curating holy space and how do you um if you're so inclined watch church on the same screen that you watch um well in our case Daniel Tiger in Dinosaur Train um (laughs) right It, it just doesn't feel right to me and you know this is my own particular sensibility
0: it, like, but, almost um, needs to be two different spaces. Like this It is needs the... to be two
1: different spaces. And the whole point of um, church buildings is that they are other, right? That they are weird. They're distinct from um, our normal life. And you go there and it's, like, set apart. It is uh, holy by definition. It's just other. Um like that's that's all holy means is just strange or weird or other, um, from the Hebrew root. It's just like that which is different, like profoundly different. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a real crisis of holy space these days, in particular, um, that I feel acutely. And so when you ask about making space um, to meet with or discern God, I think that's a profoundly important question at this very moment in history where we have always, as humans, um, curated and maybe even created holy space, right? Like, sometimes Moses or Jacob or whomever happens upon it and they're like, oh, God said this is holy space. Okay, whatever. I'm going to do a thing about that. Um, But for the vast majority of humans, um, you create the space. Um, and so we rely on our ancestors to have established cathedrals or rented a warehouse or, um, you know, put up candles in a house or somehow marked off that we're going to use this space differently, um, for a different purpose. And like when I think about spiritual experiences in my life are times when I felt God's Manifest presence. It's been doing something weird, doing something abnormal, going for a walk in the desert, or like taking a weekend off and going hiking, um, or just like walking to a new place. You know, um, mm-hmm. like encountering God in something that's different and other, and it's like, oh, it's not. You know, this isn't just nine to five, normal life, whatever. But it's it's slightly different, and that's where God grabs you. You know, not for nothing. Um, the Book of Numbers, uh, which it's not even a plug because it's not even ready, but my next book uh, is about um, mm-hmm. the retitles the Midbar, right? The in the wilderness, right? But uh, mm-hmm. it's a it can be, and a number of interpreters have have pointed out that it's a double entendre. Um, mid could be wilderness, which is not to say desert. Um, there's a separate word for that. Wilderness is just simply a place where people are not, a non-settled mm. place. Um, but it also could be the, the place of speaking, right? Mid-the-bar, right? Like from from speech or like the place of speaking. Um, and so it's when we go in those non-settled, non-normal Places when we really hear God speak, right? And mm-hmm. so, how do we how do we create or curate other space? I think is the same question you're asking of how do we create space to hear from God? Um, traditionally, people have heard from God by going to some place that's weird, or cultivating some place that's weird, um, and that's that's all a church building is. Um, so that was one thing. Uh, the second thing, um, and I'm going to sound so hipster now, um, but have, have you read Heschel's The Prophets?
0: That sounds familiar, So you, go ahead, expand.
1: Um, so this is, this is the best book I've ever read outside of the Bible, just bar none, hard stop. Um, no qualifications. Hmm. This is the best book I've ever read outside okay, of the Bible. Well, you talked about. <laughs> good, do. Um, yeah, it, that's, that's the best thing I'm going to say tonight. Um, you talk about looking backwards reflexively and looking forward prophetically. And um, I was just, it brought up for me, Heschel, uh, and you think about looking around prophetically, not just forward, but maybe also back, right? Um, to prophesy isn't to say a thing that hasn't come to be yet. It is merely to speak from God's perspective, right? And mm-hmm. so we can speak prophetically about that which has already happened, that which is currently happening, and maybe that about that which will happen, right? Um, because it's, it's uh, to have God's point of view, and, uh, it's, hmm. I recommend the book to you and I recommend it to anybody who else would be listening to this. Um, but, you know, it's not just about the present and, you know, you think about the future and, and talking about your sense of potential disappointment. That's real life. Um, <laughs> disappointment happens for sure. Frequently. Um, but it, it's a little bit freeing uh to me anyway to think about um prophetic speech as not predictive of something but just viewing and speaking about a thing from God's perspective. Um mm-hmm. and if if one has ever read the prophets, um any of the biblical prophets or any other prophet, um any kind of prophetic speech It's most often colored with disappointment, right? Um, Maybe about the past, maybe about the present, um, possibly about the future. But God's saying, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. And Mm -hmm. it's not what I expected. And, uh, you know, a couple places in Jeremiah, right? Like, I couldn't even imagine that you guys would do this to each other. Right? Like, it never even entered God's mind, God says, Hmm. that humans would do that kind of, like, particularly nasty stuff, like praying on children, for instance. Um, Like, it never entered my mind that you would do this. Um, Hmm. And so, that got dark in a hurry. Let me turn it around to say, like, it's kind of freeing, because it's not like, oh, this thing has to happen, otherwise something's in doubt or whatever. But to say, like, no, we can just look around and say, that's, that's not as good as it should be. Um, and, you know, where neighbors are not loved, where um, foreigners and orphans and the unmarried are mistreated and not lifted up with special regard, that's disappointing. And God hopes for a better present and a better future and a better past, right? And because God hopes for it, we can hope for it, and not sort of the dismal um, pie in the sky, I hope someday but uh, uh as as one of my uh, colleagues says, "Not pie in the sky, but chicken in the kitchen, right? make it happen hmm. um
0: And I think where there's uh, there's
1: hope, there's a way. Yeah, go.
0: Yeah, I I like that uh, idea that, you know, kind of the, I I wish I had a recording of exactly how you said it. Maybe I have to rewind a little bit. But just the idea that being prophetic is speaking from God's perspective. How'd I do?
1: Mm Mhm, I think that's right.
0: Because I think what it is, when I I asked about creating space and kind of alluded to a few experiences that you've had, you know, walking in the desert or uh, it really is that space where you begin to gain that perspective. Mm. And so in that space, it's not necessarily about, it doesn't have to look like a relationship as much as. It has to, it takes on this form of taking on the eyesight or the perspective of um, how God views the world, how God views us. Mm -hmm. And when I think about like the reflective part of it, Mm -hmm. um, the space that you create to be able to look back on your own history and see it. Through the lens of compassion and you know that that God is always there with you, yeah. and then looking you know into the future of um, just like you're saying, like how things should be, you know God takes on this perspective of the world um, where things are broken, obviously, in so many ways, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the thing I've been kind of, the injustice that I feel like I've been more in tune with these last few, you know, this period of my life um, really relates to incarceration,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. mass incarceration, um, especially, like, just how it reflects this ongoing systemic racism. Mm
2: Mm-hmm
0: and And just thinking about like how do you create space to discern I love that word to use that word too. I thought that was really helpful. like what is God's perspective on that? and I think the tricky thing has been how do you translate that like okay, now I have God's perspective on this, which is that you know we have totally uh you know, dehumanized entire populations. You know, and mm-hmm. huge numbers of people. Um. So what? What do you? And often, I think for me, it's a very uh, simple thing, like um, writing writing to somebody, sending an email to someone. Like that often mm-hmm. stems out of those space of like being in that reflective like place um then taking that into your daily like or the ordinary life right the uh where everything is sort of as it should be for you to just live your typical life but then how do you take something out of that space that you've created and put it into your real life so that now you're creating this new future. And that's the part mm-hmm. that I find to be very uh, tricky, <laughs> is how to navigate that. I don't know, have you had any success with that?
2: Um,
1: yeah, I have. And I've had a lot of failure with that, too. Um, I feel like if this doesn't get at what you want, then please delete this segment and ask again. (laughs) Um, I feel like I've been doing a lot of thinking about the Great Commission. To go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all my commandments, right? And it's as best as I remember it. I don't have a Bible in front of me. And I came up thinking, oh, just like teach people to believe in Jesus and stuff. That's not there. That's not there. That's not what it says. It says make disciples, baptizing them, and that's all well and good, and teaching them to obey all my commandments. And I feel like that's the very best we do, right? And that's, like, for all Christians and for all people who follow God, um, the best we do is make disciples, which is to say, help people to care about the stuff that God has helped us to care about. And move forward together right like if every person who cared about the evil of mass incarceration could help three or four you don't have to have 12 that's a lot but help three or four people learn about it learn about um just ways to stubbornly fight for the humanity of people who have become, uh, just numbers in a system, but to witness to the beloved child of God who is placed in a cell, um, then the multiplication adds up very, very quickly,
2: Right?
0: I want to substitute the word cage for cell. I feel like we've started to use the word cell because it has this, like, nicer ring to it, but just to say cage, because effectively yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Sorry, go
2: ahead.
1: <laughs> for sure. Um, no, Kim, I'm going to say cell, and I'll tell you why. Because animals are put in cages, and that's a human in a cell mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm thinking back to the monastic tradition of the medieval ages of people being placed whether they wanted to or not. Uh, and certainly there's questions about that, but like people were placed in the cells, but they were people and God encountered them there. And mm-hmm. human community learned from people who were in cells who couldn't leave you know, even if they changed their mind or wanted to. Right. I you you do you, obviously, and use language however you want, but I say sell on purpose. Um, mm. um it
0: yeah, I like that.
1: It is a more comfortable I like that word. A lot. Um, so yeah, you know, cage has the power to shock and I I think that's good. I think people need to be shocked to the barbarity of what goes on but uh, mm-hmm. and we, we put animals in cages and, and these are not animals. Um, yeah.
0: I really like what you said that, you know, it kind of connects back to your way of understanding um, what how you characterize your experience of God as someone who's a follower and somebody who is just kind of the cheerleader of noticing the movement of God and wanting to be a part of it and and get on board with it. Um, Because, you know, then your purpose, as you describe it, is to help others become like that, to notice what God is doing. And, you know, the term disciples is basically people who are kind of taking on the, the role of like a, a follower as, you know, being yeah. uh formed into the likeness of um the one they are following in a way.
1: Yeah. I think humans do their best when we are simultaneously um disciples and I will go ahead and use the term uh advisedly master, right? not in the sense of a boss but as in the sense of somebody who has um acquired mastery over a subject um, because
0: like a you craft know you you already
1: you already or talked craft to Sarah. Woman. What's that?
0: Like a like a craft person like an yeah. artisan.
1: Yeah, like yeah, a master builder, a master shipwright, um a master writer. Um. yeah, somebody who is more than proficient um, but does their work with beauty and skill and probably delight, right? Like just really good at it and they've really devoted themselves to it. And Sarah is a master discusser of justice, right? I, I know mm-hmm. you know that about her, right? Like you're a master thoughtful person and a master conversationalist manifestly right um and so i think we would do our best if uh, as humans right to find a master just say look you do a skill and you can't help but glorify god and at the same time humans by doing that skill, because you do it so well, let me become more like you. Mm. Like, let me, let me put my shoulder in to really lean in and become like you. And at the same time, right, there's maybe something really good that I do um, that can't help but bring glory to God and also uplift humans. Um, and maybe there's two or three people, or four, who knows, uh, who'd want mm-hmm. to become like me in that sense. Right, and I think we can do both. Right, and I, I, I think it's necessary to do both because otherwise, we become subservient or we get arrogant, and we have to be learner and teacher too. And
0: um, so, so, who are your who are your people, or do you, have you found your person that you are considering to be the master that you want to? Yeah, yeah,
1: just recently.
0: Um,
1: And uh, it's my boss. Um, Can I say his name? Yeah, why not? Um, Bill Guffian, uh, He's the Bishop of Indiana, Kentucky for the ELCA. Um, And uh, he is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Not of America, crucially. We're not a state church. Um, but it is a manifestation of church in this place. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, he's, he's a visionary and I am not right. Like the, the way that he takes his responsibility to shepherd and care for, um, the hundred hundred and seventy some congregations. And, uh, I don't, know how many people, 50,000 people on the rolls, um, and like pray and look towards the future and like, what, how are we going to discern God moving and how can we help our people move forward, um, to be the hands of God, right? Um, as we're called to be.
2: Um,
1: um and uh, that strategic visionary, that is something that I don't know how to do and I've never known how to do, but I see Mm -hmm. it executed uh, with graciousness and humility and I want to learn to be like him in uh, that.
0: So what's your... What would you say you're gaining mastery in as far as, like, is there something that you've already identified that we could learn from, or um, things that you've already mastered.
1: So my Midwestern humility is slowing me down from answering that question as excitedly as I want to. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm, It feels uncomfortable, but I'm just gonna go for it.
0: I just feel go like for I it. read because, the Bible listen, really it's, well. It's Yeah, I was just going to say, because uh, if you think about it like a manifestation of, like, the gift mm -hmm. that God has given you, then you can just take ownership, you know, like, it doesn't have to be about you, necessarily.
1: Yeah, no, certainly it's a gift, but it's a gift that I've spent decades honing, also. Um, Mm -hmm. I read Bible really well, I think. Um, And because I'm really interested in the nuance and really interested in where systems fall apart um, as they necessarily do, because that's how systems work. Um, And, you know, to, to sort of trace throughout Scripture the God who is just crazy about wanting to be intimate with a people, you know? Like, in Genesis, God went for afternoon walks with the humans in the garden, right? Like, that's a lovely picture of God. The, the cool of the evening, um, as all, you know, Mediterranean societies do. You just go for a walk in the, in the cool of the evening, and God did that with the humans, Right? Um, that God is just this personal God of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Doha and Zilpah, right? Um, and then, you know, after the Exodus, God's making these crazy laws. Like, if you go poop, bury it because I'm going to be in the camp with you. And people like to point out how silly that is, but I like to point out how profound that is. God is going to walk through the camp at night because God really wants to dwell with God's people and has made, like, a really big effort to free God's people so that God can hang out, so that God can be in the camp. You know, like, we, we talk about, Jesus' incarnation, uh, and I think we do so rightly. Um, But hundreds of thousands, maybe 2.2 million, who can say? Um, But a big number of Israelites and non-Israelites in that camp every day opened their eyes and saw a pillar of God's presence, you know? And so, there's people seeing manifestations of God's presence day after day, year after year, because God really wanted to dwell among God's people. The like the most horrific, heartbreaking thing in the Book of Ezekiel um, is when God withdraws God's presence from the temple. Like you just see the the smoke leave. It's like God's not here anymore. Right and. That's, uh, happily, God decides to return in Ezekiel, and there's another vision of God's, God's presence returning. But, like, God has always, always, always wanted to be intimately present. Here, okay, so this is the flip side of the question that you've asked. I, I view my interaction with God as like that of a follower. But God is passionate about this intimate, physical relationship and it's no wonder that like all the mystics um use love language and some even use like sexuality language um in the medieval era that is what it is but like it makes sense because god is passionate about this relationship um and i'd probably be a better follower if uh (laughs) that was the metaphor that really spoke to me the most but it doesn't um and i have to Mm. think that's okay but uh, man, it's it's the relationship, or that's the metaphor that God uses, to be sure. It's spousal love, you know, um, and then certainly love of uh, a father with children or a mother with children. It's they're both there. Um,
0: so when you, you know these, like I, I feel like there's you've alluded to a, some experiences that you've had, and I guess. If you were to use a metaphor, um, you know, you talked about, like, a time when you were walking in the desert and just That's feeling a good story. You want sad. me to tell
1: that story, Kim? I do. Okay. I can just tell that story. You can just say, tell the story. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I used to live in Morocco, um, like, several times, and... Uh, I didn't really, like having a relationship with God wasn't like a, there wasn't a, you know, a figure of speech that I used, right? Like that certain kind of Christians talk about that and certain other kind of Christians don't. And I guess I was part of the latter. Um, and so I was just kind of by myself and living by myself and reading a lot of Bible and, you know, somebody said you gotta, you gotta pray and find out who God is to you. And initially, I'm like, oh, that's kind of silly, right? Like, God is God. You know, <laughs> uh, what do you mean who is God to me? Um, but the more I thought of it, you know, like God says that God to what is it? Abraham is your shield and your great reward. Um, then there's all the theophoric names. Gabriel, um, God is my hero. God is my mighty man. Um, Mishael, right? Michael, who who is like God. Um, I don't know, and my mind is blanking. But all all the Hebrew Bible names that end in El is saying something about God, right? Um, Jesus, right? Jesus' name is God saves right? Um, and so, to Jesus, God is a Savior. Right? And to think about what that means. Um, mm. And so, I said, okay, whatever. Um, so, at that time, my, one of my commutes was walking um, three-ish plus hours through the High Sahara to a village where um, I had a little bit of business to conduct. Um, so, I thought, well, you know, it's the long walk day. I'll just walk and um, I'll pray while I go and, you know, listen to music and do whatever because um, it's a long walk. And so I did, and I was walking, and I took a various route. Like instead of crossing one hill, I crossed the next hill over. Um, and I was just walking and praying and asking, you know, God, who are you to me? Um, I, you know, I need to have some sort of claim of it not relationship, but, uh, well, maybe a relationship, but just how are we going to interact? And, uh, at that moment, I, uh, I kicked a rock and it skidded on the head and then it fell and went kerplunk, uh, the way that a rock would do if it fell into water. But this is the high desert. Um, again, this the Sahara. Um, and so I walked up and, uh, you know, kind of like Moses, but let me see the strange sight. Um, and so there's a channel of water that was just open um, that I would have walked right past or not seen. Um, and it was this water kind of rushing beneath the surface. Um, and it, you know, it, it wasn't miraculous at all. The French built a hydroelectric dam and buried a pipe and it, you know, kind of cracked and was open to the sky. Um, you know, 60 plus years after the French left, um, so it's not, it wasn't like a God creating a well in the desert or anything, um, but it was the movement of the Holy Spirit anyway, um, and you know, I, that, uh, that bit of scripture was recalled to mind, uh, about in, a dry and thirsty place, right, and, a, a drink of water a um, uh, underground well in a dry and thirsty land. Um, and I was, just came to understand that that's who God is to me. You know, times are tough. It's rough out there. Um, but God is water in a dry and thirsty land. And that's who God is to me. Um, and that, that's been a very important story for me um, since... Oh well, gosh. About thirteen, fourteen years ago no.
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's a good it's story. A good
0: metaphor. It's a really good yeah. metaphor. It's um Yeah.
1: The Holy Spirit thought of that. Yeah, that I, was you know, that's that's clever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that it it reminds me of um, you know, Sarah and I were both kind of uh, have have similar kinds of experiences where it's these um, so the kinds of experiences where you know that God has put something in your path or you know arranged events or you know caused this you know coincidence or series of events happen in such a way that it just so deeply affects you in your sense of being known. And mm-hmm. that that's the, um, I think, one of the key, uh, that's, those are, like, the touch points for me to kind of come back to. And, um, yeah, so... That's a really a lovely image. I like that.
1: Me too. Yeah.
0: Um, I wanted to uh just be you know, cognizant of the time. So um yeah, this has just been really, really rich. I totally um yeah, I feel like we got the benefit of this mat Biblical mastery. Um, <laughs> you gave us probably at least four to six references of different like stories in the Bible that are just really relevant and helpful. So, thank you yeah. for your studies. Sure. And
1: oh, pleasure.
0: And just, yeah, taking the time to to me.
1: It's really great to talk with you, Kim. And again, you're like the best conversationalist. Thanks for really thoughtful and kind questions.
0: I just think that everybody that I... I just want to know everybody's story. I want to know how God is interacting with everybody that I know because I'm convinced that we all have these secret treasure chests of these moments with God and um, yeah and I also just want to tell you that I really appreciate the way that you talk about God with um, either no use of no pronouns or uh, you know I think sometimes you say she for my benefit even though that's uh, not your practice typically but it really it's (laughs)
1: It is, Bless Kim. Um, when, when I talk about God, uh, I, the pronoun for God is God, and I very strongly believe in that. So I talk about God and God relating to God's self and all that. Um, and for Jesus, I use masculine pronouns, and for the Holy Spirit, I use feminine pronouns. Um, and that's wow. just reflecting scripture, right? Um, in Hebrew, spirit is feminine, um, and in Greek, it's uh, gender neuter. Uh, so neither masculine nor feminine. So if Greek doesn't want to come down on one side or the other, then, then go with Hebrew. And I would go with Hebrew anyway, because who cares about Greek? Um, so <laughs> I just, I, I use the gender that's there. Um, and certainly, what is it? Genesis one twenty seven. shot in the dark. God creates humans in the image of God, male and female. God created them, Right. And so the image of God is male and female, so if you use, to me, this is just my own thing, but if you use gendered pronouns for God one way or another, you're denying part of the image of God. That's what I think, mm-hmm. right? And so better to let God be weird uh, and to have God as God's own pronoun. Um, and that that's just my own practice. But for the Holy Spirit, I will always use she and her because... That's what the text does.
0: That's so refreshing. I love that. Oh, well, good.
1: I just <laughs> That's just Bible. I, that's just, yeah, that's my own practice. But it, it's a lot of people do it. I, I think there might be rules in my denomination about, like, that's what you're supposed to do. I don't know. But that's what I do.
0: Yeah, I was really struck when you said that. But you're uh that in order to um become a uh leader in your church denomination, you have to agree to not use only heat, right? Did I say that right?
1: Um I, I like I said, I don't exactly know. Um but you have to express a commitment to gender neutral language. Or gender inclusive language. Huh. Um not gender neutral. Gender inclusive language. Um so we you know, if if God is in the business of including everybody, uh, how dare we do otherwise? You know? So mm-hmm. it just makes sense.
0: It seems so progressive for uh I, I just I guess I don't know much about your denomination, but it seems like a very progressive stance.
2: We're, or is that we're pretty old. progressive. Is
0: that really old fashioned?
1: Uh I think it's both. Uh, you know, it, it it can be both. The wisdom of the ages leading us into a brave new future. How about that? Good. But not a brave new world. It needs to be said. <laughs>
0: um, I, I, I need to read that because, you know, it's a very common reference, and I have these like big gaps in my literature that I should, I should fill slowly but surely. I'm going to yeah. get that prophet's book. Is it profits, like Uh like Yeah,
1: that. yeah. I'm I'm looking at it across the room. I gave it to Sarah to read for like the eighth time in our marriage, um, and so she's <laughs> a couple pages in now. I, I think
0: <laughs> that doesn't surprise me.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's you know got a lot that's going on, um, and so I I'm just gratified that she's approaching it we'll
2: see what comes of it (laughs) yeah
0: all right Corey well I'm gonna sign off um and I hope that you know maybe we can do this again sometime
1: yeah this is really fun can I can I interview you next time
0: oh
2: yeah I I, I want to
1: you have mastery of questions um and so I would like to (laughs) learn from you (laughs) (laughs)
0: I could become your follower. Okay. That sounds like a plan.
1: (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks so much, Kim. It was really fun talking with you. Thanks.
0: You too. I'll talk to you again later.
2: Okay. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.